Sales Enablement Society, Stories from the Trenches, where enablement practitioners share their real-world experiences. Get the scoop on what's happening inside sales enablement teams across the global SES member community. Each segment of Stories from the Trenches share the good, the bad, and the ugly practices of corporate sales enablement initiatives. Learn what worked, what didn't work, and how obstacles were eliminated by corporate teams and leadership. Sit back, grab a cold one, and join host Paul Butterfield, Vice President of Sales Enablement at Instructure, for casual conversations about the wide and varied profession of sales enablement, where there is never a one-size-fits-all solution. Hello, and welcome back to another session of Stories from the Trenches, where typically... Folks that do what we do get together and talk about how they're finding success, the challenges they're facing, and we try to cover the spectrum from startup, scale up, all the way up through enterprise, all around the world. Today, we have a little bit different format, however. I'll let them introduce themselves in a minute, but I'm joined by Tyler Smith, Ryan Simpson, and Taylor Baranowski. They have all had successful careers. I've worked with all of them. At one time or another, they come from some overlap, but they also have a lot of different experiences. Here's the commonality and why I've asked them to join us. When I've worked with them, and, and even as we've kept in touch, each of them has taken something or elements that they learned from the sales enablement teams and programs that they worked with. Could be methodology. It could be any number of things. And they've come back later and talked about how they've used those things to have success in their careers. Now, why is that important? Because we all know that not everyone in sales has that same view or embraces the programs and things that sales name brings them. Ultimately, what we do has to impact sales. These are some folks that have felt that impact and, and seen it um, in their careers beyond. So we're going to go around after they do introductions and we're just going to talk about, I'm going to be asking them, what are some of the things that even with all you've learned that you think sales enablement leaders should be thinking about differently or maybe haven't always picked up on that can help us in our 2021 planning? So I'm going to go ahead and let them introduce themselves. We'll go in alphabetical order and we'll start with you, Taylor. Yeah. Hello. Thanks for having me, Paul. Taylor Baranowski. I'm a regional channel manager out of North Texas at Dialpad. All right. Ryan. Ryan Simpson. I'm also out here in Texas. Uh, EVP, head of sales for Redaway. We're, we're a medical waste uh, company. Yep. And uh, Tyler Smith, I am regional director of sales for AppDynamics, division of Cisco, and I'm based in the uh, beautiful state of Utah. All right. 801, represent. So that's it. Let's get into it, guys. This is going to just be a fun conversation. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead again, start with you, Taylor. In the time that we've worked together, you've had success in both direct. In fact, when, when you know, we first knew each other, you were, you were racking up P-Club points and having a you know, really good career at direct. Then you had a few years to spend in the channel. So as you look at channel enablement, which many sales enablement teams is supposed to be part of their charter, and you look at what your needs are as a direct sales person, what are the differences that you see? And just talk to us a little bit. And then Ryan and Tyler... Let's all jump in and add our two cents. Yeah, I think the biggest key to success, whether you're looking at uh, direct or channel uh, when it comes to sales enablement, is really uniformity and then commitment to the uniformity that you set in place. I think it's very easy if you look at the history of sales, very easy to put structure um, enablement in the direct setting, uh, direct report to their boss daily, weekly, 
very easy to keep all of their processes and steps in a CRM. Whereas channel has sometimes been and is kind of the wild, wild west of sales. Um, every channel manager has a different way of selling, way of introducing partners, way of onboarding partners, way of keeping partners happy. And I think that when you look at where I've had success in the direct sales and bringing it into the channel is really uh, the uniformity. I think that when we look at something as easy as an intro and a follow-up on the direct side, um, you have one customer with one sale, intro, follow-up, confirm next steps, you know, close. Uh, when we look at channel, it's a whole different ballgame. So when we talk about kind of the differences that I see is the dedication to uniformity and commitment to it on the direct side and the lack of it in the channel um, or some teams that I've worked for in the channel. Okay. I actually was an agent for a year. I'll still work deals that come through referrals. So I work with, I do work with channel managers and it is a wild, wild west, right? Number one, when you're dealing with, with partners, right? Quote unquote is they're salespeople. And, and unfortunately they want to talk to you, the channel manager, when they need something. And, and it's, it's a lot harder to run that same sales process as you would with a customer. Number one, because a lot of us have been through that sales process and we run the cha- the channel's going to run their customer meetings the way that they want to, not necessarily the way that the company wants to. So if you, you have to have a different level of sales support that understands that. And, and, and that's why it's really important to, to have channel managers who've worked up and do know that. For example, if you had a direct manager ask you as a, as a channel manager, okay, well, why is the customer buying? Why is this? You're not going to get any of that. And, and you know, most, some cases, depending on your level of relationship, you might not even get the name of the customer. So I agree. You have to really make sure that it's tailored specifically to your role. Right. I'd add to that, that I think it's, you have to have both a respect for the similarities in the roles between sales and channel, and you have to have respect for the differences. I've been a part of a, a few sales organizations that try to lump everybody together and give them all the same in sales enablement. I think it's important to where there's overlap to have similar sales enablement process. You know, what's the vision? What's the value? The principles, all of that. But then I think as you get into the nitty gritty, it helps to have, um, you know, different tracks or different classes, um, if you will, as part of, as part of the sales enablement program. So that you're able to, again, respect the similarities, but then also train them on the, on the significant differences between the tools. That's a great segue, Tyler, in, into something that I'm sitting here thinking, because uh, I'm listening to you guys. And actually, I, half my sales career was spent in the channel and yeah, everything you said, right? So help our listeners understand how should they be planning better to meet those unique needs? Because we all seem to agree on that. Tyler, I'll throw that back to you just at the beginning because it sounded like you were headed that direction a little bit anyway. First off, in, in planning and enablement is you have to first understand the differences, right? Ryan and Taylor did a great job of talking about earlier about, you know, it is different. I may not know the champion or I may not know all the pain, but they know and they own the relationships. And so focusing in on relationship building measures, refocusing in on how to identify needs and how to... Um, enable the channel to be able to sell on your behalf. Whereas if you're going through and enabling, you know, sales individuals, you know, all that upfront um, relationship building that you're doing in the channel may not be as important from them. It's how do you do a proper handoff and how do you take the baton and, and position that into a, into a proper sales cycle? So that handoff is important. 
Listen, I, I think you're right. I, I wasn't trying to be so it's completely different and completely wild, wild west. And, and you can have some formal steps and processes and questions. You just have to understand that you don't own that customer, but the channel manager is your, their direct, the agent is your customer, right? Whatever term you guys use, that's your customer. And rapport means just as much as value, right? With, with, but the more sophisticated agents that you get in the higher level deals, value is more important than rapport because they want to make sure that you're hitting all the technical pieces. And I think they'll get it and let you into their customer, but you have to make sure that they understand the value and you're, and you're giving them the value. So I think you can still, you can align, but be a little, but have those differences. Right. And I think in any sales methodology that we've been in, you're going to, you're going to run deals that are very different in size volume and you know what parts of that methodology that you can cut out or combine all into one step it doesn't mean that you stray from it completely but i think you have to you know i i always have the there's the rule and then there's the exception right you get you get i think in the channel side there might be a little bit more exception but you can still make it make it work into a methodology yeah and ryan you bring up you bring up a good point and something that you know caused me to to think about it experiences with the channel and, and oftentimes, you know, if conflict comes up, a lot of times it's within the channel around rules of engagement. So I think as something from a sales enablement standpoint that should be important and should be out in the open is having clear understanding of, uh, you know, rules of engagement, when to engage, how many partners can be registered to a deal, um, you know, how to, how to survive, uh, you know, a tense situation between a channel and a channel partner. And and also, I think we all know that when you get into those tense situations, if you have a strong relationship up front, oftentimes those conversations are a lot easier to have. And so it goes back to focusing in on building strong relationships and then also understanding resolution conflict using your rules of engagement. It's nice when you have a process written out for an inevitable conflict or, you know, anything that can go wrong will go wrong. And when you have that process and the enablement and the um, everyone's on the same page about it, it makes it very easy. You just have to be confident and kind of drive the process, uh, whether that's on the direct side to the final sale or drive the process, uh, keeping the relationship and making sure the partners know where they stand, even if they're in the same deal. I listen to you guys. I have one more question on this topic I want to throw out to you and, and, and then we'll move on. I think all of us have been involved in co-selling models where you've got AEs, in-house AEs, right? working alongside agents and channel managers in some capacity. In my experience, it's really easy for that relationship that you've crafted over months and quarters and maybe longer to get blown up in one deal when your AE does something stupid, right? Anybody else been there? What sort of knowledge or skills and that sort of thing do you think that the enablement team should be looking at when they have a co-selling model? How do they set those AEs up? to not do that and be successful with you? It's like relationship. I think the channel manager's got to run that because they understand the value of that relationship. A direct rep, if, if you lose trust in that customer or if you, if you spec it wrong and you lose one deal, right? That's one deal that, that, you, that you lose. But if you, if you do that to a channel manager, you, you not only, you're not only at risk of losing all their business going forward, but you're at risk of losing all the business of everybody else that they talk to about that product because, you know, as, as an agent and channel, they're not, 
their money is, is when that deal installs, right? It's mm-hmm. not about sales. It's not about like the highlights. So if you mess up or you cost them a deal, that's, that's a lot more real. Um, and they're going to make sure that you know and, and agents know. So I think it's relationship management. But so going through the same training, but making sure that they understand and communicate with Taylor, right? With the tailors of the world that mm-hmm. before you do this, you need to communicate with me and we need to be on the same page. I don't think that's a sales training because you're not running. It's more of a communications. And maybe what Tyler said, swim lanes, making sure that everybody understands them. And then Taylor, you said, and then when things do go sideways, have a plan. So let's pivot to you, Ryan, talk about something a little different. Uh, You know, again, you guys have all had experience and are in sales leadership. Ryan, out of this group right now, you're the only one that's sitting in at an executive level, uh, EVP level. So, I want to kind of kick it off in your experience. Again, how does someone looking across from an executive level or even, you know, lower, not lower in the organization, but how are sales leaders looking at sales enablement for themselves and for the leaders in their organization? So essentially, we focus a lot on the frontline reps, but we need to be developing our sales leadership. So you have a few thoughts on that to kick us off? For me, it's really about knowledge and understanding what tools what tools are out there um, and, and what can make me a better leader, right? And what can, what can I implement that's gonna that's gonna make the team better? And I think you know, even kind of back in the last, it's really communication and understanding and making sure that any enablement that's going on is in direct alignment with the sales goals and and our sales call it methodology or what we're trying to get to. And we're in an alignment and it's really about over communication. And Paul, we, we were talking about this before. And I think we understood, you know, at, at, the, at the organization we were at together, you did a, you did a great job of, of rolling out this program and selling, selling leadership on it. But I don't think leadership did a good job of selling their direct reports on how important or why it was. And they didn't take it as serious. And what I liked, and it was after the fact, but what I, what I really liked is when, when I went up to, um, when we went to the leadership conference for that sales methodology and we went through the leadership portion because you had a wide, there was a wide range of, of leaders in that group of, of customers who had been doing, have been on that program for multiple years. And then people like us who were in the beginning and first thing first is you see you see and hear from the stories the value that is real the value when you follow the model to a T. And then you you also learned what happens when you don't. And you learned it from from managers, direct line, and then you and then you heard it from executives in the room. So I think getting people bought in on whatever you do, um, when when you're when you're selecting something. So for me, I would say it's make me aware of, of what you, of what's out there, right? Mm-hmm. If it's, if we're going to sell, I, I don't think any, any leader in the world doesn't want anything that's going to help them sell more. Um, and it doesn't slow the process down too much, right? But at, at the val, at the end of the day, the value. So for me, it's communicating and, and making, making the leader part of that selection process. So they're bought in. So that they like really bought in, not just like, okay, that sounds great, but I absolutely believe in this. And it's my responsibility to get my direct reports bought in. So the organization is bought in. Does that make sense? No, it, it does. And, and I agree with you 100%. 
frontline sales leaders especially are critical to the successful adoption of any sort of change in a sales organization. And so my follow on for any of you three is how do we, so I get they're bought in, they're ready to go, but it's a new, whatever it is for them as well. How do we enable them as frontline sales leaders and develop them as people for their next level? And so they can help us. There's a few thoughts I have on that as well. And I think in the, in the organizations that I've led in and been involved with, I think first and foremost, it's important to have a leadership specific enablement track. All of the organizations that I've been a part of did actually, speaking bluntly, did a terrible job at enabling leaders, um, providing ongo- ongoing training, especially in situations where individuals are promoted into that role and providing them and putting them back into an enablement track to help them be enabled now with the new school skill set around leadership. I think that's taken for granted in the fact of actually first and foremost providing enablement and then not losing sight of folks who get promoted, not just new hires, but those who get promoted internally, sending them through that enablement track. Um, we've all heard the statistic that the number one reason why people leave organizations is because of their manager. You know, it seems to me that there could be a lot of attrition that could be reduced in an organization if more time is focused on developing proper habits and proper methods for for sales leaders. I listen, I, I agree with you. Um, and I think the problem in sales with bad leaders, and it, I've seen it in multiple organizations, is you take your best salespeople and because you want to replicate what they do, you put them into a leadership role. And to your point, Tyler, is there's no formal training or anything that they go through. And sometimes your best salespeople are your worst sales leaders. Um, so when you don't give them that structure or support or, or training or teach them how, and a lot of times when you're putting them into that leadership role, especially today's organizations are a lot flatter and their direct manager doesn't have the have like the time to go through and put them through that training or just maybe they're just not giving them the time that they should, they're going to fail. That team's going to fail and they're all going to, they're all going to attrit. But also when you do give these enablement, whatever tools, classes, trainings, it's again, it's important for their, for their leader again, to be bought in. Right. And, and I just keep going back to like sales methodologies, for example. And, and it's like, okay, Here's what we're doing. We roll it out, but then here come numbers are due, right? And it's like, okay, well, we're not here. It's like, I don't care about that process right now. We got to hit numbers. We'll we'll pick that up. And then it starts falling apart slowly or never even get started because you say go do it. It's it's like a sales thing. It's like, okay, I'm going to give you the time, but oh, shoot, it's the end of the quarter. That's out the window. We've just got to go do what we got to do. Yeah, or what's worse is they say, here, give me this. And then they just go and try to close it on because they know how to sell. They know how to close. So they get back into that mindset rather than enabling their sales team to go and sell. Right? Well, and then they don't follow any of those steps because they just go into that closing mentality yeah. and they use yeah. that title to get everything done. So what does everybody else do? Is they're like, okay, well, they're not bought in. Why am I going to do it? I'm yeah. just going to kick it up so to, to John and they're closing. I took it a little bit differently. Never being in a sales leadership role um, in telecom, people are very uneasy in the sales organization, even at a leadership level. And sometimes they view that hot new salesman, that, that hot shot with the, with the big numbers as a threat to even their own position. And sometimes they let emotions take over that salesman's request to be a leader, to learn more about leaderships, to groom their leadership skills. 
And I think sometimes it can, it can be a selfish answer to block them from the training that they're requesting or the training they deserve, um, thus creating kind of uh, friction. And then, like we all say, people leave organizations because of bad leadership. And um, it might not have been uh, the intention of it, but I think that's the outcome. Um, I know I took that a little bit differently from, from the other two, but as a, as a direct rep that was showing progress at a different organization and requesting to learn more and, and, and move up in the organization, um, I, I think I can say I've been there firsthand. Appreciate that. And so, so before we, we pivot to our last question, I'll just share my takeaway from that, Tyler, or Taylor, and, and all of you. But specifically what you were saying, Taylor, is that sales enablement should be working with whether it's L&D department, you know, course sales leadership, but have a development track that a rep, say they've been hitting their numbers for X number of quarters, they have to continue to hit their numbers, but they are allowed to apply for and get on that fast track. And as long as they keep hitting their numbers, it's not really their manager's call so much because the criteria has already been established and anybody's eligible for it if they meet the quota requirements or something. So appreciate that. All right, Tyler, let's throw one to you. At three of the companies where you've worked that I'm aware of, there were pretty strong sales name of programs. So as a leader, as a rep, having grown up with those, you've seen the differences of various sales name of programs. And and um, what recommendations would you have, you know, that the rest of us could maybe emulate or gaps or both? Yeah, you bet, Paul. So I've been fortunate in working through some of the some excellent individuals from sales enablement, both with you, Paul, and Chris Sargent, and then as well as Siobhan over at Ring Central, and then working with uh, with Wendy Brahm at at, at TalkDesk. You know, all very strong thought leaders within the sales enablement space, and all for a reason. They all approach things quite differently, but there's a, a few similarities definitely that I'd like to to kind of touch on. First and foremost, I think that we need to get out of the mindset of sales enablement is just for sales. Sales enablement should be, it should encompass the village, right? So you should consider putting your marketing team through a sales enablement track. You should consider, or at least members of the marketing team, you should consider putting, you know, members of obviously the channel, direct sales, sales engineers, folks that touch sales in some way so that you can all start speaking the same language and have a similar nomenclature that when I go to finance and say, hey, I have, I'm, I have a, a a deal that I'm, we're best and final. Um, we're the vendor of choice, uh, sequence of events, you know, blah, 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 all these words that that's a known entity and that the company knows and it's all speaking that same language. So I think that don't think that sales enablement only encompasses uh, sales. Focus on the complete, all of the job. So what I've liked is I've gone into sales organizations where they did enablement first, where they, they kind of spoon feed you. So it's a little bit of a, a spoon feeding of enablement rather than drinking from the fire hose. So as the initial piece is just going to be focusing on the values and the visions and, and the basics of the job. And then a few weeks later, you know, pour in a little bit more. Let's talk more about pricing. Let's talk more about um, best practices. Let's talk deeper into role plays. And then lastly, as you're now filling and starting to get your legs under you, that's when you can introduce, um, you know, the sales methodology training. Because now you're going to have more context around what's the what and, and the who's who and, and the value and the vision. So I think, you know, try not to spoon, or spoon feed it as opposed to force feeding. And then really as an organization, I found that it helps to build culture around the process. And so 
Siobhan at Ring Central, one thing that she did that was excellent is she gave the term Fight Club, F-I-T-E. And so you're going through Fight Club. And the idea is, is even the culture, everybody's been through it. I survived Fight Club. And if you win, it's a big deal. I, you know, I'm, I'm a brown noser, uh, admittedly. And so whenever I get in those situations where you can win Fight Club, you better sure as hell believe I'm going to win Fight Club. So, it, it, you know, that there's, there's a culture and excitement around it and a sense of pride of coming away from enablement, having take place in the top five or place in winning, winning the opportunity. You know, that's how you can build internal resume. So I think that's good. And then lastly, sales reps hate this, but or some do. Don't shy away from role plays. Role Come play, on, everybody role loves role plays. plays. I actually do love role play. <laughs> I love role plays too. I love it. I, I, I tell my reps, it's just like a sport. If you don't practice, you're not going to win. And I'd rather lose fake deals all day long and look yep. really, really dumb in front of the group than miss a deal with, with the customer. And, cut, and cut, Yeah, cut your teeth internally yeah. as opposed to some, some revenue generating activity, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Tyler, I don't, I don't want to cut you off, but you, you were saying something earlier and, and, and it really hits home to me, but for a different reason, right? When you're talking about a methodology or, and having everybody, not just sales, but all these other departments go through, go through that training. I see there's a lot more value there. And, and what I always say is you're not just training the sales organization, but you're training the customer. Mm-hmm. Right. As the sales rep, you're going through it. As the account manager, you're going through it. Well, you're asking and you're taking the customer through this journey and you're asking all the questions. And then the next person is asking all the same questions. It brings consistency. So we're not just training the people in the organization to, to sell better, but also that customer is getting a much better experience because now the vocabulary is the same with the customer. They're going to start giving you things before you ask. It just becomes this really, really nice fluidity throughout with the, the customer and the organization. So there's a lot more value than just, okay, it's great that we're internally on it, but for, for companies that need to see the outside value, it's the customer has a better experience all the way through. Yep. I've seen situations, and you may have been talking to this, Taylor, but enabling the channel as well around your methodology. And so oftentimes we would have uh, channel individuals come in and try to force us in their process. And we would have to kind of push back against them and not be pigeonholed into the channel agent or the reseller or the master or, excuse me, the sub agent trying to push their process on us. So as sales enablement professionals, what are you all doing to help your channel managers enable sub agents and resellers as to our process so they even at that point can start talking to our process and our nomenclature and building that culture around it to extend outside the organization. Yeah. As someone that's literally going through training right now with a new organization on a weekend, it's awesome that um, you said it earlier, but we're all speaking the same language. I've been sitting in training with an SDR, with an AE, with a support rep, with an engineer, um, with someone that's going to run the enterprise team. So people at all levels and day by day, and I'm you know looking ahead week by week, it's all the same process for everyone in the organization, regardless of your title. And it started day one. There's a huge kind of push at this organization um, dial pad that this is how we do it here. Everyone goes through the same training. Everyone's going to start with the same base of knowledge. And it's just a great refreshment coming from a different place where it was, hey, day one, you know, here's your laptop. Good luck. <laughs> um, so I yeah. think that 
that one to three weeks of training um, and everyone going through it just starts the uniformity that you need to put in the processes that, that you need to be successful. Like you said, whether we're in direct or support or marketing or the channel, it creates a lot of excitement too. There's certainly some opportunities right now as we're talking through enablement and Paul, this is probably a podcast topic if, if you haven't had already, but how do we do this now in a virtual environment? Right. Yeah. We've had and a few. I, and I've, and I've seen that there's actually been some opportunities um, come of this that have been at, at, at a huge advantage and that now we can take and kind of, as I, as I mentioned earlier, it makes it a lot easier to spoon feed information because we can stretch that out over a three week period or a four week period, as opposed to having to cram it all in because everybody flew in and they have five days and you have to travel there on Monday and leave on Thursday and then, you know, blah, 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 blah. So being able to spread that out and take advantage of having a longer runway to enable, enable individuals. I think that's, uh, yep, but you don't get the exciting. Thursday night drinking. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll tell you a quick, quick story and then, and then I want to have you guys share some wisdom. So first of all, thank you. I appreciate that. But I remember, Props to this guy. I won't say names because two of you probably knew him. But we, uh, we, we had, it was last day of training, and yep, the Thursday night had gone on. We were in New Jersey, and a bunch of the folks that aren't normally in New Jersey went over to Manhattan. Awesome, right? Had a great time. But when they came in to do their case presentations Friday morning, one of the groups came over and they said, we don't know if we're going to be able to go on because our team captain stayed behind in the city when we all headed back home. And when we were getting in our Uber in front of the hotel, he was getting out of his. <laughs> so, but to this guy's credit at maybe 30 seconds before the beginning of the class, he came walking in suit, tie shaved. You would never know. So you, you got to respect that, right? That's a salesperson. Yeah, that's a salesperson. Yeah. All right. So going in the same order again, I, I, I really appreciate this. I think we're getting a lot of great feedback on it. But as you think back on your career, so whether it's for sales enablement people, salespeople that listen to this, because we do get some of that just in general, what's the number one thing that you've learned, maybe even the hard way that you wish you could go back and tell your younger self when you were just starting out in sales. Taylor, I think we've been starting with you. Yeah, I think it's that the little things add up. You know, everyone thinks that every salesperson thinks they're smarter than any methodology or, or whatever. They have their own way and they'll show everyone that they can hit numbers their own way. But when you take the enablement, the methodologies, the processes, you accept them and you live by them. Every little step builds to the next step, builds to the next step. And it really can help you stay organized be successful and be accountable. Um, so I think that's, you know, looking back on what I've learned and how I've grown into my sales role today, I think that every little step adds up and every little step is necessary, whether you think it or not, because it's part of an end game. All right, Ryan. I would make sure, you know, thinking back to my young manager self, I'm trying to hit like numbers. And I think today as sales are more sophisticated and we have these processes and you have to achieve a step is making sure that your reps know that they can be 100% honest and not over forecast a deal, not over forecast where they're at in the sales process, because then that just rolls uphill and that brings a lot of that stress. Like I was talking about at the end of quarters, end of years, whatever your quota is. So just making sure that everybody knows we have these processes in place. Here's what we've got to do to advance the deal, right? And let's just be really upfront. And if it does, if we miss something, let's go back and get it fixed. 
but that's going to just, that's going to alleviate a lot of the stress and pressure, which, you know, in, in sales is probably behind management is probably the other reason why we leave and go to different organizations. So, you know, that, that's the one thing I, I would just go back and tell my younger self. Great. Kind of rounding out my, my items. I kind of put those into three things. First, humility, be humble enough to ask those dumb questions. Don't assume that everybody knows this question. So not being afraid to raise your hand. And I, and that comes from also from a sales enablement culture, promote a culture that, that allows for people to ask them questions, right? Role play. We talked about this earlier, role play more. Um, if you think you've got it, keep role playing, right? Do it in front of a mirror, dial in your pitch, learn the vision, be confident. And as you gain knowledge, knowledge equals confidence. So don't be afraid to cut your teeth on role plays. And then lastly, as I, st- as I start any organization, is really working to find a mentor outside of, of that sales enablement team. So latching on to whoever's finding success or latching on to the best performer within your organization or even somebody else that's doing well within your sales enablement team. Find a mentor, find a buddy, find somebody that you can, that you can find success with together within that organization. Great. I really appreciate it, guys. So that's another wrap for this month's Stories from the Trenches. Thanks for listening and riding along with us, and we hope to have you back next month. Thanks for joining this episode of Stories from the Trenches. For more sales enablement resources, be sure to join the Sales Enablement Society at www.sesociety.org. That's www.sesociety.org. 